Hello and welcome. Let's see what we got here. March 23, Proverbs 23. Ah, this is so wonderful. <laughs> okay, so stick around, folks, because I am, I don't know. Uh, in a way, I'm, as a person who likes teaching, I am glad to be talking about wine and what the Bible says about wine and our consumption of wine. But as a person who does not like to <laughs> interfere in people's lifestyle... <laughs> I'm not at all happy about talking about wine. Oh, you know what? The word of God is meant to give us direction though. So let's see if we can spark some, some thinking, new thinking, old thinking. I don't know. All right. So let's start though. 23, chapter 23 starts with, man, discipline, being self-controlled and right into the line of social media and um, what social media does to us. So when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. Be careful. Consider what's before you. <laughs> Put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. If you are a person that just eats a lot, like stop yourself. <laughs> Don't desire his dainties for they are deceitful meat. In other words, after you've had this really cool opportunity of getting with somebody who, you know, I, I, anytime I think of fancy eating, I always think of a cruise ship because at home I tend to kind of do things super simple. I have paper plates and plastic cutlery and, you know, I just do simple stuff and throw it away. And the most often that I have a fancy table set in front of me is when I'm on a cruise. And so I tend to think, I picture a cruise when I see this. Um, but if we're ever in a situation, yesterday I talked about, you know, preparing to be in a situation where you eat with kings, eat with presidents, eat with influencers, put yourself in a situation so you know what to do with those knives and forks and spoons and, and what they all mean and, and, just the whole bit, learn a little of that etiquette because you should have the faith and the hope that God is going to put you in a situation to deliver hope, the the hope of God, not just the hope that of, of things in this world, but deliver the gospel like the apostle Paul did. Put, just plan on it, plan on it. And then if you plan on it, God will, God will put you in that situation. That's what I found for myself. I have been shocked at the situations I've been put in that I never imagined. So, but don't, don't be deceived by this stuff. Um, will you, will, will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. These fancy things, they are, 
they are not meant to be lived on. You know, I have, I have, uh, I am a royal follower. I love to follow the royal family. Please forgive me that for that, but I do love it. And um, I have heard that even the the royal family they have their private kitchens where they go and make themselves a sandwich. <laughs> they go in there and do you know regular people stuff. These dainty things are for special occasions. And so don't get caught up in wanting and thinking that's what you need and overspending, spending outside your budget, trying to do these things. We need to have a life of self-discipline, self-control, and don't get caught up in social media. This this whole description right here, verses one through um, six, this, this is an example of what social media presents to us both in clothing and um beauty and and food and um I follow two or three accounts on Instagram that is strictly how tables are set um I'm I'm not a I don't consider myself a a incredible decorator um but I love to see it. I love to see what other people do. And so I follow a lot of them, but don't get caught up in the social media stuff. And that's these verses right here, verses one through six help with that. And if I'm talking to mothers who are still training and influencing your children, help them to know the difference. This is, this is what you can do at special occasions, but this is not everyday life. Everyday life is more budget friendly. It's a ham sandwich. Oh, I, someday I would love to tell you guys, maybe the Lord will present a verse and I'll tell you the dream I had, um, the night of the inauguration of president Obama. I did not actually vote for president Obama. Um, his social lines of thinking are not harmonious with my own. Um, but the Lord gave me a dream and I won't tell you the whole dream right now, but I will tell you that it occurred over a some type of kitchen in the White House where <laughs> um, President Obama was making a sandwich. <laughs> I was standing at the counter with him, my, me and my dad and, and a few other people were standing at the counter with him making a sandwich. Anyway, uh, my, my point is um, teach your children the difference in special occasions and real life. And this is an important verse that goes in, in line with this. First of all, this is true. Just this one, this one thing right here is true. As you think in your heart, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So this is the case in your self-worth and your confidence. Um, you need to, to guide your thinking, help yourself think better because as you think, so is he. But this verse is actually broader than that. We tend to just use this one line to promote the idea of thinking more positively. But this is, he says with his mouth, eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. He is, he is watching you scarf food with your big appetite. He is watching how you behave yourself at his fancy table. And he's saying to you, oh yeah, eat however much you want. Eat however much you want. But his heart is not with you as he thinks in his heart. That's who he really is. That's a, a very important thing. Okay. Um, we, we read about this yesterday. Verse 10, remove not the old landmark. 
enter not into the fields of the fatherless. So remove not the old landmark, specifically talking about the fatherless. So this is talking about an orphan who was left a property and the, the orphan may not really know the boundaries that, that they inherited from their father. Um, and a neighbor could sneak in and move the landmark to make this orphan think he has less land than he has. And th the warning is their redeemer is mighty. <laughs> Don't move their landmark because if you try to take from an orphan, you're going to be punished. Uh, apply thine heart into instruction and thy ears to the words of knowledge. Okay. Okay. I love this. We're just going to read the good part and then we're going to go back to the hard part. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice. Mm, even mine. Oh, I love this. This is, this is just how a parent wants to feel versus um, 15 through 26. My reins shall rejoice. My reins, you know, those things you put on a, on a horse to guide them. You know, you've given your kids some reins to live by. My reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Oh, I can testify this is true. Let not thine heart envy sinners, be, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine bibbers among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and the drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee. Despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Oh, this is what we want our children to live by right here. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bare thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Oh, this is just wonderful. I feel like this would be a good pas a passage for parents to read every day and maybe even read out loud every day to your kids, Proverbs 23, 15 through 26. And let me tell you, as you read 26, don't forget, it says, let your eyes observe my ways. So parent, that means you've got to do more than talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. You've got to show them how to do the hard things. You've got to show them how to be self-disciplined and use self-control and how to conduct yourself on social media and with friends and how to not party and not give yourself over to being a, a drunkard and a glutton and, and drowsy. That means sleeping your day away. You've got to do more than talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. But this is a fabulous passage. Now, it starts this 15, though. <laughs> Oh, it starts with some pretty hard stuff. Withhold not correction from thy child, verses 13 and 14. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Y'all, please, please, if you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, 
because this book called you to be a Christian. This whole book did. Not just Acts 2.38. Not just Matthew. Not the whole book did. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about the whole book as we move into talking about drinking wine. You cannot say that you are opposed to spanking your child. Don't say it. Don't let it leave your lips. You cannot cherry pick the Bible. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now, you're going to have to go back to my previous recordings and hear me talk about what I feel like is abuse and what I feel like the bottom, as in backside buttocks, is for. There are no... There is nothing but fatty tissue on that bottom. That is for spanking. The bottom is for spanking. The face is not. Just hauling off and smacking a child anywhere you happen to reach is not. But don't say that striking a child in a proper way is not right. It is right. And the Bible instructs us to do so. And I know it's difficult, I know it's weird, and I know it's especially if you come from an abusive family, this is very hard to swallow. But I promise you, the abuse that you were raised under is not what the scripture is talking about. The abuse that you were raised under is not what this scripture is talking about. There is a proper way to spank a child. I grew up with loving correction that included my bottom, which again, let me reiterate, has no vital organs in it. It is nothing but fatty tissue and nerve endings that will sting. And I grew up, oh my goodness, y'all, my parents were the most amazing parents on the planet. And I'm telling you, spanking a child is not wrong or bad or incorrect or abusive. It is not. And you are welcome to go and talk to my children who are now 24 and 25 years old. And they had plenty of spankings on their backside, on the bottom and the tops of their thighs. And they will actually tell you the same thing. It was actually... (laughs) (laughs) I actually never, to my remembrance, I never thought of the idea when I was raising them. I never thought of the idea or the concept that the bottom is nothing but fatty tissue and nerve nerve endings. In other words, like it will sting if you smack the buttocks. I never even thought of it until Matteo and I a few weeks ago were having a conversation. And he was like, the buttocks is made for spanking. It's nothing but fatty tissue. (laughs) I fell over laughing. I'm like, oh my word. You're correct. That's true. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're welcome to go talk to my kids about how abused they might have felt. I'm telling you, do not say spanking your children is abuse or bad or wrong. There is a way to do it that is proper and it will save their soul from hell. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, yesterday we talked about spanking children either, I think it was a couple days before that. We also talked about spanking children, and we can't help but talk about it when we read through Proverbs because it's literally written in black and white. Oh, my word. And and the word rod is used. I personally didn't use a rod. Um, I used a, a, a plastic... Um, Spoon mostly. My my parents used a belt. They spanked my bottom with a belt. Um, and if I wouldn't hold still, they got the back of my thighs too. But <laughs> their aim was my buttocks. Um, but again, I think the bottom of the, the top of the thighs is not a problem. There there aren't uh, you know vital organs in there either. But you you don't just just haul off and smack a kid wherever you happen to reach them at. And you don't let them get by with something, get by with something until finally you can't take it anymore. So you just haul off and, and hit them for it. That's abuse. That's not training. Training is when you say, don't touch that. And every time they touch it, they get a small rep, uh, repercussion that is a sting. It is nothing but a sting. And that is proper training and spanking. If if you let a child, if you tell a child, don't do that, don't say that, don't go there, don't cross that line, stop running, come here, and you don't actually follow through on a repercussion, then I find it abuse that periodically you spank them for something you've let them get by with for the last five, eight times, maybe even three, four weeks. I do find that abusive. I find it, I find it abusive that parents just wait till their head explodes. Then they suddenly haul off and spank a kid. No, no, that is not training a child. You train a child by having rules, sticking to those rules, and then you implement the repercussions every time they break the rule. And what happens is you, you eventually stop spanking them because they have, they have, they don't want the repercussion. They don't want the repercussion. So then what they do is they, they get along, they go for two or three months and then they, they try a new boundary. And then you, you start the process over again. No, we're not crossing that boundary either. <laughs> and you do that and you start doing that from the moment they make choices. Please go back to my past, um, recordings where I talk about child training. Okay. I'm going to tell you though why this is so important. You know, in our day and age, if we start having losing control of our children, we just lose control of our children. Um, if we want to experience this sweetness that I read earlier, well, you've got to be implementing this from the beginning forward. Um, I, I told you at one point how with Madison, you know, I mean, he was just a few months old, weeks, I would guess, whenever his teething started, I would guess he was probably maybe four or five months old. I can't remember when teething starts. It's been so long. But when he would start um, gumming me while I was nursing him and Morgan, I had experience with Morgan, her biting right through my skin, y'all. And this is again in another recording. So by the, when I had Matteo, I learned that to give him the repercussion of tugging his hair, like at the nap of his neck, just give it a little tug, let him know that there's a repercussion that happens when you do that act. And Matteo never did that. He, he never did that. And so, okay, but let me tell you why, why this is important. In this time, 
if your kid got to be 11, 12, 13 years old, you know, by 13, oh, we are so twisted in this culture. And this book with this Hebrew culture, by the time they turn 13, they are entering manhood. 13 is considered manhood. Even to this day in the Hebrew culture, that's what the bar mitzvah is. They're turning 13. They are, they are acknowledging, the community is acknowledging you are responsible for your behaviors. And so from newborn to 13, they've got to have their life. This training's got to be done. For this to be your reward, to make your mother and father glad, all this training's got to be done before 13. And I think that's the case even to this day. Um, I think the last spanking that I got from my parents, I was um, 11. And I've not had a conversation with them about this, but I think even at 11, they felt like that I was too old. Like they they wish they had not given me that spanking at 11. Um, Anyway, that's a whole different story. But let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this is so important. Let's look at the law. Let's look at the law these people were having to live under, okay? Let's go back here to Levitic, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21 verses 18. I think we're going to read through 23. Are you ready for this big old bombshell? This is why. They had to have control of their children. This is why they spanked them. This is why it was so important that they train up a child. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, he will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, this is, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you and all Israel shall say and all Israel shall hear and fear we talked about yesterday how you rebuke openly so that others will fear verse 22 and if a man have committed a sin worthy of death he be put be put to death and thou hang him on a tree okay this goes into just regular uh, men committing a crime but verses 18 through 21 is what happens if you've not gotten your child to exhibit self-control because you have properly chained that, trained that child. That's why we have Proverbs. Uh-oh. That says, withhold not correction from the child. Their ability, parents' ability to love that child have that child go forward in life, marry in life, produce children, depended on that child's soul being delivered from hell. There is a chance that if you were required to take your child by the time they were 10, 11, 12 years old, 13, 14, 15 years old, and say, look, this kid will not listen to us. He will not 
uh, obey us. If you had to do that, take your child to be stoned, I think you wouldn't be so opposed to spanking. I think you would not be so opposed to smacking the fatty tissue of their buttocks. That's what I told myself anyway. And I love how Morgan and Madison turned out. I'm so proud of them. I do not regret one spanking. Not one. I'm so thankful for it. And, and speaking of saying I do not regret one spanking, let me tell you that I didn't know Madison was deaf until he was pushing three years old. So that means from the time he was newborn until he was three, if he did not obey me, he got the repercussion of a swat or a thump on the knuckle or whatever it was I was doing in the child training process. And I will tell you that once I found out that boy could not hear me, I felt a load of guilt. But do you know what? And it, I think if I'd have known he couldn't hear all that time, I would not have trained him to be extra careful and pay attention. He looked at me more. He looked for my direction more. And I'm thankful for that. I, I do feel guilty that I spanked him without realizing that he actually wasn't hearing me. But I am thankful that the inadvertent outcome was that Madison uh, uh, is a very observant human being. He is very observant. You, you would have to know Madison personally to know that I'm, I'm grateful I didn't know because I absolutely would have let that kid get away with nonsense because I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a pushover. And he did, he did get away with some nonsense. After I found out, I would excuse him all kinds of things. Oh, well, he didn't hear me. He didn't hear me that time, so I'd make sure I got around to his face so I could make his face look at my face, and I would make him read my lips, and you know. But so he got, he did get away with more. He, he had my heart wrapped around, my, my heart was wrapped, I was wrapped around his little finger. My heart was wrapped around his little finger. But I am so thankful I did this throughout the whole life, even, even those parts that I didn't recognize that he couldn't hear me. I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I felt guilty in the moment, but I don't regret it. I love, I love who that boy turned out to be. I love who that boy turned out to be. I'm so, so grateful. All right, let's talk about drinking alcoholic beverages. <laughs> oh, Lord, I'm just, oh, thank you, Proverbs. Thank you, Proverbs. You made me do some studying. You're making me say stuff that I wouldn't say normally. So... Verses 30 through 35. <sighs> they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder, thine eyes shall behold strange women, thine heart shall utter perverse things. This is what happens when you've lost your filter because you've given yourself over to the intoxication of wine. Your eyes behold strange women, your heart shall utter perverse things. Thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. This is describing the, the uh, feeling sick. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. So let's talk about alcohol. 
I do not drink alcohol. I do not believe Jesus Christ drank alcohol. I do not believe that the New Testament Christians gave themselves over to just drinking alcohol as a party social event. <laughs> um, Proverbs 21 says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Um, Isaiah 15, Isaiah, not 15, Isaiah chapter one speaks negatively about drinking wine. Isaiah 5 speaks negatively about drinking wine. Isaiah 22 speaks negatively. Isaiah 56. And I stopped because I, you see, I didn't have all this space. And I, I thought I was just going to write two or three, you know, little things. But it turns out there, Jeremiah spoke negatively about drinking wine. <laughs> all the prophets spoke negatively about drinking wine. So I, I just stopped writing them down. Um, Ephesians 5.18, which is a New Testament, speaks negatively about drinking wine. All right. So one of the, one of a, a, a series that I really like a lot is, um, The Chosen. I, I don't usually like Christian, uh, entertainment. I think it's, it's really cheesy, but I really found myself liking The Chosen. I've, I've not really liked season two or three as much as I did season one, although I like it fine. But season one, I mean, I was, they sucked me all the way in. I was having prayer meetings almost every episode. <laughs> I just really liked The Chosen. But they do constantly have them drinking wine and they do insinuate that drinking wine uh, alcoholic wine is, um, for social reasons is, is okay. But I'm going to tell you why I do not believe it was happening. Okay. So first of all, wine, um, where it's talking about right here in Proverbs is talking about effervescence, which means the escape of gas. Um, and it's talking about fermented wine, which leads to intoxication. That's what this Proverbs is talking about here, and it's what it talks about through all of these um, chap uh, prophets that I mentioned before. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. First of all, Jesus was not a wine bibber. Jesus was falsely accused of being all kinds of things. Just because they accused him of being a wine bibber does not believe, mean he drank alcoholic wine. Now, grape juice, even pomegranate juice, juice, juice in general, is, was called wine in these ancient days. They called all juice wine, even pomegranate juice. And I, I know that because I, I just read a, um, when I was looking up the, all these various scriptures, I, I found several different uh, fruits and they would refer to the fruits as wine. And I particularly noted the pomegranate one. Um, so I want to point out that I, Jesus, this is actually my pastor's point that I loved so much. And I am 100% in agreement with him. There is, I do not believe that Jesus who came to fulfill the law, Jesus who came, Jesus who said, uh, you say don't murder, 
I say, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you that's the sin. You've murdered him in your heart. Jesus called people to be more strict than the law, not less. And I do not believe that Jesus, who was God in the flesh, and therefore that eternal God spoke to these prophets. Where am I? I'm in the Old Testament. Spoke to these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. You are not going to convince me that the God who spoke negatively about consuming alcoholic beverage here suddenly is in the flesh and is walking around consuming alcoholic beverage. No way. No way. You will not convince me otherwise. No way. No way. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he spoke through these prophets negatively about consuming wine as an alcoholic beverage, <laughs> he did not do it. And pe people talk about, well, he turned, he turned water into wine. It does not say that he turned it into an alcoholic beverage. It says that people who had already drank a lot of wine said this is the best wine, not the best alcohol. The best wine. And, oh my goodness, no. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Now, I will tell you, uh, here's, here's another example of, of Christ using wine as a reference. These are the references, Matthew 9, 17, Mark 2, 22, Luke 5, 37. This is where Jesus um, said, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. He never references old wine. New wine is 100% referencing wine that is not wine, or we would call it juice, that has not had a chance to ferment. He, he never even referred, he never even used as an example fermented wine. He only used wine, it, when he talked about wine, he only talked about wine that had not had a chance to release gases. So uh, let's see. This, this, I, I put it right here. Effervescence means the escape of gas. And we're going to talk about what causes, um, juice to ferment. So juicefly.com says that grape juice will begin to ferment within six to 12 hours. Okay. Grape juice. This is somebody who's teaching people how to make wine, by the way. Juicefly.com. Grape juice will begin to ferment within six to 12 hours. Due to the wild yeast that grapes contain. So grapes automatically contain a yeast. And if you just leave it on the shelf for six to 12 hours, it will begin the fermenting process. Now, how fermented it will be, how alcoholic it will be, I don't know. But here's what I did learn from this. This is why both 1 Timothy 3.8, when it's talking to deacons of a church, and Titus 2, 3 says not given to much wine. Now, people want to use these verses to say, see, we can drink wine. We just shouldn't drink it a lot. We shouldn't drink it to the point that we are acting drunk like it's describing over here in Proverbs. No, that is not at all what it means. What it means is that you don't know when the fermenting process is going to start. You could have grape juice sitting on your shelf for six to 12 hours and it begin to ferment. So don't just drink a lot of wine. Don't drink a lot of grape juice because you don't know how long it's been sitting on the shelf. 
That's what it means. Science.howstuffworks.com says if you're going to, um, you know, make it by the barrel, it takes seven to 21 days to ferment. And then it talks about how different yeasts give different flavors. So this is where you start controlling um, the taste of it, which is what you get here in verse 30. Um, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. This is a very controlled thing. And of course, they would mix it with various, um, you know, myrrh, various um, things to make it taste various ways. And <laughs> one of the th ways we do see wine used is as a medicine. In Proverbs 31, 6, when we get to 31, 6, you'll read about it there. But it says, um, anyway, you, you, it talks about it there. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and read it because I'm going to go ahead and look it up because um, I actually had a situation in my life where uh, because of the medicine that I was taking, I wondered if I would be better off to sip a little wine. 31.6. Give strong drink. Here's 31.6. We'll get it to it when we get to Proverbs 31. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. So I was particularly taking an um, antidepressant. And so I was wondering, well, why don't I just sip some wine? If we're talking about a heavy heart here, um, this is probably about... 10 years ago that I had this wondering. And so I, I did some research and in every way, the medicine that I'm taking is better for me than wine. <laughs> it's better for me calorie wise. It's better for me um, getting a deep sleep. If you study deep sleep, people, some people want a glass of wine before they go to bed. They say it makes them sleep better, but you guys see, I, I use this every morning. This is my Fitbit. It tracks my sleep. And it will tell me when I am in REM sleep, when I'm in light sleep, when I'm in deep sleep, when I wake up. I mean, it tracks everything about my sleep. It tracks my oxygen levels, my heart rate. It tracks everything. And so I, I'm saying all that to say I study sleep. I literally studied sleep to the degree that I study these verses. <laughs> I study sleep. And so the, when I, I can tell you, go, go study sleep. When you drink wine, when you drink an alcoholic beverage for the purposes of trying to sleep well, you do not sleep well. You do not reach deep sleep um, enough, long enough, nor enough times because you actually go into deep sleep often through the night. Nor do you reach REM sleep, REM sleep, um, often enough when you go to sleep with an alcoholic beverage. But... In this ancient day, this was medicine. This was not for a party. This is like somebody on their deathbed and us giving them morphine. So, no. We have developed science that we no longer need to consume an, alco an alcoholic beverage to achieve these results. But I'm going to point this out as well. Even though Proverbs 31.6 talks about 
who to give wine to, give somebody to somebody who's of a heavy heart, somebody who's depressed, who needs an antidepressant, or um, somebody who's about to die. And we give them morphine these days and other medicines. First um, Timothy 5.23, this is Paul telling Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake, <laughs> for your often infirmities. Poor Timothy, he must have been a sickly person because he was all sick enough that Paul said, stop drinking the water as, as you... Those of you that are listening to this right now, you know that there are countries to this day that have um, bad water and um, they get sick because they're drinking water. And this was the case where Timothy was pastoring. He said, stop drinking the water, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake. We don't know that it was fermented wine. Drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake. We don't know that it was fermented wine, um, but even if it was, it was a medicine, not a social drink. Uh, not, it was a medicine. Okay. Um, and we don't know that it was fermented, but here's something that is very interesting. Mark 15, 23, Jesus was given a wine while he was on the cross and it was a normal thing. They used, they did this often to people who were dying, just like we just read in Proverbs 31, give wine to those who are perishing and Jesus refused it. Jesus refused it. I do not consume alcohol in any way, shape, or form. I think if you are a follower of this book that um, you should not be consuming alcohol. Uh, I'm not your pastor. I'm going to leave that in your corner, but that is why I do not consume alcohol. That's my argument for not consuming alcohol at all, ever. We live in a day that they provide medicines, and um, that's a very controlled situation. They will even stop prescribing a medicine when you no longer need it. So anyway, that's my, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. I love you. Bye.